0: So last summer, I was able to take some time off from the church. I was away for a number of weeks. And when I got back, I was asking around and asked, "Um, how are we doing? How are people doing? How's the congregation? What are you hearing? And uh, one of the themes that that came up actually quite quickly was, hey, you know, one of the biggest issues right now is fear and anxiety. We're seeing more and more people struggling with deep fears and deep anxieties, And that didn't surprise me. Uh, Research shows Americans are becoming increasingly fearful and anxious. There was a recent poll by the American Psychiatric Association. They found 39% of adults in the United States were more anxious at the time of the poll than they were one year prior. Uh, The top things that people were anxious about, safety, health, finances, politics, and relationships. Uh, The survey also shows that millennials are the most anxious generation. Uh, There was reports on between 2009, 2015. The number of students visiting counseling services, counseling centers on colleges increased by 30% on average, when when enrollment only increased by about 6%. And so um, those students who were seeking help in one study, 2017 study, 61% of college students said they had felt overwhelming anxiety, um, according to this study, of more than 63,000 students. So it's a, huge, it's a huge sample size. That uh, fear and anxiety are very real issues in our world today for us. And I want to think about uh, fear and anxiety today. And maybe from a little different angle than you might think, because we're, we're looking at this passage from Luke chapter 12, Here we have a number of teachings of Jesus that are presented to us, and they're sort of strung together. They don't form a nice, tight, cohesive sermon, so to speak, but uh, as we look at these, I want to consider four fears that we draw out of this this teaching of Jesus. The first is the fear of God. That's a good fear. It's a good thing. Uh, The second is a fear of people. That's a bad thing. The third is a fear of the past. That's a pointless thing. And then lastly, the fear of the future, which we're going to see as an unnecessary thing. Let's pray together as we consider God's word. Father God, your word, as Elaine reminded us, is living and active and powerful. And we just pray at this time as we turn to your word that we would know its life and its power and its activity in our lives as we consider your heart and your will. So we praise you for it. Give us wisdom to understand it. And we yield ourselves to you and the work of your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. At the first fear, the fear of God, and really, it, it comes it flows from a problem. The problem is hypocrisy, and the solution is fear of God. Look at verse uh, I printed on the back of your bulletin, our passage today. Uh, this first verse says, "Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is." hypocrisy. For there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have heard whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? I mean, literally, the word, it's a theater word, originally. And it's about acting. It's pretending to be something you're not. It's pretending to hold a standard that you actually do not hold or or living you, you live in contradiction to what you claim to believe it's about pretending jesus had no patience for hypocrites and he could hang out with all kinds of sinners he's hanging out with tax collectors he's hanging out with prostitutes and he doesn't get too bent out of shape but it was the hypocrites where he became indignant in matthew 15 jesus said you hypocrites Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but mere rules taught by men. So you know, you, have, you, you say that you're, you're close to God, but your hearts are very far, and Jesus did not uh, put up with this. Matthew chapter 23, again, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. You know when you get that bug in your mouth and, you know, you, you, so you're going to die because you have this tiny little gnat, and Jesus said, yeah, you're doing that, but at the same time, you just swallow a whole camel, don't even realize it. You're tithing, and you, that's an important part of God's law, that you're generous with what you have, but you're neglecting other parts of the law where you're supposed to administer justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so you, It's not about one or the other. You've got to do the one without neglecting the other. The warning to, to Jesus' followers and his warning for us today is not to fall into this type of hypocrisy. And it's particularly easy for people of faith to fall into this type of hypocrisy, because there's things that we really care about and other things that we may tend to overlook. There's a Christian author named Jerry Bridges. He wrote a book called uh, Respectable Sins. And the idea of his book is that Christians are very quick to condemn people outside the church for their blatant sin and for not living in line with the Bible, and at the same time, ignoring or overlooking or even condoning sins which Bridges, in his book, calls respectable sins. And we need to remember that all sin corrupts us, that all sin separates us from God. Just from his, his table of contents, he names some of these uh, respectable sins. The first is ungodliness, which he describes as living, living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God, or of God's will, or of God's glory, or of one's dependence on God. How many are guilty of that? Other respectable sins discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, lack of self control, impatience and irritability, anger, envy, jealousy, and related sins, gossip, worldliness. And he goes on. You could you could read the book. For us as a as a community, this this yeast of the Pharisees, this hypocrisy, is is a great temptation for us. For example, Free Christian Church, we have uh, for many years held a very firm pro-life stance. Which is why some of the the news and some of the new laws are deeply concerning, uh, troubling to us. But if we are to hold this view without hypocrisy, we must be people who are famous for walking alongside women in crisis pregnancy, who are raising babies. We should be famous for adoption and fostering children and helping special needs children. In standing pro-life, for all life, for the poor and the marginalized and the aged and the disabled, for the incarcerated, male and female, black and white, do we stand firmly that every human life is created in the image of God and therefore sacred and special to Him? Are we consistent or do we have hypocrisy? Another issue, since we're at it, just keep hitting them, uh, as as Christians who have a high view of, of of the Bible as God's word, in understanding God's heart, we believe uh, we hold a, a view that uh, that marriage is sacred and that it is a sacred union between one man and one woman. But to avoid hypocrisy, we must treat our marriages as sacred, and we therefore must get rid of anything that um, that destroys marriage. Things like anger and unforgiveness and abuse and infidelity, there should be no place for that if we truly believe that marriage is a sacred union. And we must be people who uphold that and who live that and who support one another in and through that. Remembering the words of Jesus, He says, You strain out that gnat, but swallow the camel. The effects of hypocrisy are obvious, it destroys our community. I, our, we are a community built on relationships of trust and honesty. And when we are putting on a show or putting on the act, when we, when we are untrue to one another, it destroys our community. It also destroys our witness to the world. What's the solution? The solution is that we should fear God. We can't keep up the act forever. We need to know that God is going to bring everything to light. Again, verse 2, There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed from the roofs. You can't hide it. You can't keep up the act forever. So the fear of God leads us to repentance and faith. In a sense, the opposite of hypocrisy is repentance. So if hypocrisy is is, uh, putting on a show and, and being fake about how we really are, repentance is admitting who we really are, that we are all sinful and broken, that we all need God's grace, that we all fall short. And God brings his grace to forgive, to change a heart, to heal and to lead us into true righteousness and away from hypocrisy. And we need to lean into that, and we all need to operate uh, from a place of receiving His grace to grow. It's the fear of God that will do that. The second fear is closely related to that that's the fear of people. Again, this is a bad fear. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, and after that, can do no more. Fear of people is a very common fear. And, and many of us lose sleep at night and we become anxious and worried. We're afraid of what people will think of us. What if people don't like me? What if people reject me? What if I'm not good enough? What if I haven't accomplished enough and people judge that I haven't accomplished enough in my life? And here Jesus says, do not fear people. Do not fear what people think of you. Why? Because what's, what's the worst that can happen? They'll, a person will reject you. Or, I guess, in context, a person could kill you. Which you might say, well, pastor, that actually seems like a reasonable fear. (laughs) That's that's actually a real thing. Uh, But Jesus says, "Uh, actually, no, that's not the worst. And it goes back to that first fear. We need to fear God. Look at verse 5. I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear Him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. The point here is that in life, Or in death, we are God's possession. We are in God's hands. But beyond life and death, there's eternal life and eternal death. It's a reality that we all have to face. And you may say, well, look, I came to church this morning to feel better about myself. (laughs) I don't want to focus on this God of judgment. To that I'd say... We don't create God. God exists. God is an an objective reality. And if God is a God of judgment, we can't change that. Hell is real. It's an eternal reality. And we don't like to think about it, but it doesn't make it go away if we don't think about it. But here's the beauty of it all. The beauty of this statement is that God loves you. We fear him because he is great and he is holy and he is powerful and he holds all of life and death in his hands. But that same powerful God loves you. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Not only is God powerful and full of judgment, but he is full of love and he is good. And you are in, you're in God's hand and he loves all that he has made. And being in God's hand is, is a, a kind of a terrifying place because of his power, but it's a precious place because of his love. Because he cares about us. You're so loved and cared for, just like these sparrows. And what Jesus is saying, he said, I, aren't... Five sparrows sold for two cents. Basically, the going rate for a sparrow was half a penny. So four sparrows would be two cents. And Jesus said, they sell five for two cents. They just throw the fifth one in for free. They're not worth anything. And God, the most worthless thing that's basically thrown in with the half penny sparrows. He said, God cares about that sparrow and he cares even more for you. His love and his care for you is infinite. and this is at the very core of our faith, that if we can understand that, and we understand that God cares for us, and that our lives are precious to Him, that we are loved by God, then we operate from that place, and we don't have to fear what other people think of us, because we're so secure in His love. How do we know that we're so loved in that way? God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Jesus Christ died for us. That Jesus Christ came and lived and served and died a death in our place as our substitute. So all the ways that we fall short, all the sins we commit, all the fears we have, all of those things, Jesus takes them on the cross and he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his new life. That's how loved we are that Jesus did that for us. So we don't have to fear people. We are so loved and accepted by God. So we fear God, but we don't fear people. Thirdly, is the fear of our past. Look at verse 10. It says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And I call this the fear of the past because Jesus teaches here that any sin you commit can be forgiven by God. There is nothing in your past so bad that you are beyond God's forgiveness. Every sin is forgivable, except one. This blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's the unforgivable sin as it's known. So what is that? Because there's a lot of speculation around that, and it could cause fear. They say, I hope I haven't committed that one. Or I hope I don't accidentally do it. Um, you know, have I done this? And there's even been uh, people who almost intentionally try to do this. When I was uh, doing youth ministry, about 10, 12 years ago, there was, there was this phenomenon on YouTube called the Blasphemy Challenge. And this was a group of atheists who said, hey, if you're really an atheist, you should commit the unforgivable sin because you're so certain of your atheism that you, could, you would blaspheme the Holy Spirit and you would video it and put it on the internet for the world to see how blasphemous you are. And it was very disturbing. I actually watched these videos and they're, they're still around. Um, they're, you know, they, are you willing to risk it all, so to speak? And they, they would say, so there's mostly young people and they have a video and they say, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And they end the video, or they say, I deny the existence of the Holy Spirit as their way of, of blasphemy. Uh, the problem is with this, is it completely understands what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, and it entirely underestimates the extent of God's love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. So you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit by saying, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It's like saying, I punched JP in the face. Well, you actually have to come up and punch him. I know you said I punch him in the face, but you, you, you actually have to do the thing. So just saying I blaspheme is not actually blasphemy. And the other thing is just denying the existence of the Holy Spirit is not blasphemy. That's just unbelief, which is forgivable, by the way. Plenty of people don't believe, and they come to a point where they do believe. So, so, what, is, so what, is Jesus, what is this sin that is so terrible that it, it's unforgivable that Jesus is talking about? The context, he actually, the context that, Luke's give, that Luke gives us here in his gospel is a little bit more difficult. In, in the gospel of Matthew and Mark, we get a little bit more of the chain of events that are happening when Jesus said these words. And in, in Matthew and Mark, what happened is Jesus is responding to an accusation. Jesus had just, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus had cast a demon out of a person. So he's demonstrating the kingdom and his glory and his power uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and this person's healed. And they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by Satan. They said he was using Satan's power to cast out demons, which Jesus told him was ridiculous. You can't cast out Satan by Satan. It was just, he said, it's just contradictory. But what's happening is that the Holy Spirit is at work revealing who God is to the world. And these leaders, they knowingly And willingly and maliciously call the work of the Holy Spirit, they call it the work of Satan. And why is that so? Why is that the worst thing? Uh, Because even Jesus says here, look at verse 10 again, he says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, so the Son of Man, Jesus' title for himself, he said, Anybody who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Why is it worse to blaspheme the Holy Spirit than to blaspheme Jesus? Well, the point is, it's the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus known. It's the Holy Spirit that makes God the Father known. That we can't know who God or Jesus is apart from the work of the Holy Spirit revealing it. And when the Holy Spirit is at work revealing the goodness of God, and there is a conscious, willful, malicious rebellion against the Spirit... To acknowledge, to to say that what the Spirit is doing is actually the work of Satan is about turning light into darkness. Or the great reformer, John Calvin, he put it like this, it's turning the only medicine of salvation into a deadly venom. It's not just disbelief, it's not just denying the existence of of the Holy Spirit. It's not even resisting or rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. It's about intentionally, again, Calvin's words, he says... It's to profane intentionally the sacred name of God, not just to do that, but to spit in his face when he shines evidently before us. It's a hardness of the heart that is so great that that God's grace is already rejected. And Romans chapter 1 actually describes this this, uh, heart, a depraved heart, that God would just give over to a depraved mind, somebody who so consciously rejects him. Now, for you, if you worry that you have committed this sin, the fact that you're worried that you committed it means you probably haven't committed it. <laughs> this extreme hardness of heart and lack of repentance, um, that if you, if you fear you've committed it and you still have sorrow for that and a desire to follow God, you don't fall into the category of people who have committed the sin. So, so here's the good news. You likely have not committed this sin. That means any sin that you have committed can be completely forgiven, no matter how bad or terrible or dark you think it was. And you can receive his grace. In Jesus Christ, your past does not control your future. And you may sit there and say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done, though. You don't know how bad it's been. And I say to you, God does, and Jesus died for it, and you can be forgiven. And you may say to me, if people in this church knew the things that I've done in my past, they would reject me. They would hate me. And I say to you, the people of this church should celebrate with you God's grace in your life. Don't fear your past. If anyone is in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and a new thing has come. He is making something new in you, no matter how bad the past. Don't don't fear your past. Lastly. Don't fear the future. Verse 11. When you're brought before the synagogues, the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. See, this is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's at work, and we look at at Scripture, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit guides us to truth. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit leads us to repentance. The Holy Spirit helps us to know and be aware that we are God's children through faith. Helps us to be assured of our salvation. The Holy Spirit teaches us to pray. And the Holy Spirit shows us where to say to people. And you may have experienced this. You may be in a conversation with somebody and they ask you maybe a God question. Or they, they come to you with an issue. And you speak and you say something that is wisdom beyond you even imagined. And when you're done speaking, you say... To yourself, where did that come from? I didn't know the answer to that question, and yet you said something wise and true. That is the, the role of the Holy Spirit, to give you those words. And some of you have experienced it, and it's an amazing thing. Wow, God is wiser than I am. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. And, and so we don't have to fear what's going to happen if we're out living, living out our faith. You know, we talk about faith on the front lines. We've been, you know, we call in this Gospel of Luke study, faith on the front lines of our lives. As I live out my faith on the front lines of my life, the greatest fear for some people isn't that, well, nobody will ask me anything. Nobody will come to Jesus. Nobody will, you know, it's going to be, everybody's going to leave me alone. That's not the fear. The fear is, this is going to work. People are going to ask me about my faith. They're going to ask me about Jesus. And you know what? I should probably just kind of keep it quiet because I'm not sure how I'm going to respond. And here the promise is, don't worry about how you're going to respond. The Holy Spirit will give you the words when you need them. And there's a whole spectrum. And you got to remember, we're talking about a whole spectrum of faithfulness and fruitfulness on your front lines. The whole point of this thing isn't just to you know, evangelize every single one of my coworkers. And on the other end of the spectrum is, well, you know, I need to be uh, more ethical and good and nice. You know, did Jesus die that I would just be... More nice? Yeah, in a sense. But it seems like if he died, it's got to be more than me just being good or better. And, and it seems like there's more to it than just, you know, just preaching to everybody. It's actually both of those things. And in between is, you know, doing my work to the glory of God and seeking justice and mercy in, in the world around me. And speaking truth and love to people and caring for people and speaking the truth of the gospel. It's, it's all of it. It's a whole way of life that is faithful on our front lines. But we don't, part of that is just you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit will speak. And we take it all together, right? If we live without hypocrisy, if we live you know, knowing that God will expose everything that we can, that we're in His hands, but we, we don't have to be afraid because we, we're so loved. We won't deny Him and He cares for us. He's going to forgive us. I mean, then all those other fears. Are you going to address fears um, about my finances, fears about politics, fears about relationships? If we get those fears right, then all the rest go right in. If we understand how loved we are by God, if we understand the extent of his grace to us, if we understand that he's going to empower us to live it out, we don't have to fear about any of those things. We know that whatever other fears and anxieties, we have God who's going to carry us through. And hallelujah to God for that. Let us pray. Father, you are all-powerful. You are holy. You are great. And yet we are not overcome. We are not overwhelmed because of your great love, because of what you've done, because you have sent Jesus Christ to die, uh, to ransom us, to, to purchase our lives at the cost of his to purchase us back into your family, to be your children, to be loved and guided by your Spirit. And I pray for those who lose sleep uh, over anxious thoughts. I pray for those who who struggle with with fears. And Lord, we know some people, even beyond what we're talking about, struggle uh, clinically and and just have um, deep, deep fear and anxiety. Lord, we just pray that you provide their every need. Pray that we would put our faith in you above all else. Pray that you would heal and protect and guide. We thank you that you love us that much. We pray it all in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.